So today's daf is Tet Zayin in Shekalim. We are 17 lines from the bottom of Tet Vav Amud Bet, where it says, uh, where it speaks about the uh, discovery, potential discovery of where the Aron was hidden. And a lot of the next daf is going to talk about that. So it says, Tani, Rabbi Hoshaya, Hikish Alebu Kornaz, Viyadzat Eshus Rafto. It says that the, this person who had been working in the back room chopping wood, who discovered the disturbed part of the floor where it was suspected that there might be the Aron there, he knocked on it, he banged on it with his hammer, and then a fire came out and ate him up, and that's why he wasn't able to reveal the location. Actually, there were not one, but two Aronot that the Jewish people had in the Midbar, according to him, and we're going to explain why. One contained the actual uh, Torah itself. In other words, the one that had the uh, was the official Aron that we think of. Uh, and the other one had the broken Luchot. In other words, according to him, there were two. Uh, there were two. There was one that had the proper Luchot and one that had the broken Luchot, and they weren't the same one. Um, and the way that the Gra has the text here, it says, "Echad shayu luchot netunet tocho, echad shayu shivrei luchot netunet tocho." Zesh shayu luchot v'cholei zesh shayu shivrei luchot tocho. Hayan echlas yotem. And the one that had, so he just he changes the order. But basically, the point is that the one that they had that uh, that was uh, that had the broken luchot was the one that they would take around with them when they would go to war and things like that, where you read about them traveling with the Aron. And the one that they would keep always in one place that was the one that had the. Uh, uh, that had the proper, the not unbroken and the reason why the Grat takes out this uh, this pasuk because this pasuk doesn't connect. This has to do with the uh, has to do with the mapilim. It has nothing to do where it says hadahu dichtiv. This doesn't belong. Um, we skipped the part where it says hadahu dichtiv varon b'tashem v'shelo mashum mikerav hamachaneh. That's not really part of the the Grat taking that out. Shayu shivrei luchot tibetocho hayanichnas v'yotzei imahin. The one that had the uh, broken luchot was the one they traveled with. And that also he takes out because it doesn't make any sense, doesn't fit with the uh, flow of the text. The point was that they would have, they had two. One that always stayed in place and one that they traveled with. The one that whenever they went out to war, it says they brought the Aron that's talking about the one that had the broken luchot. That's the main point. These extra words that slipped in here don't really belong. And that's how we mostly understand it, right? That there was really only one Aron that had both. Right? In fact, we know that one time in the days of Eli, and that was in the uh, that was in the times of the Book of Shofti, uh, Book of Shmuel in the beginning, that they went to war with the Plish team, and the uh, the Aron was captured. So that's not talking about the Aron, but the Shivrei Luchot. It's talking about the only Aron they had, the, the main Aron. Let's say there's only one. Right, and there's in fact a pasuk that supports the rabbis because it Right, because they, when they when they brought the Aron out, the Plishtim said, "Oh, now God is fighting us. You know, how are we going to fight against this mighty God? We see that the Aron is here, meaning that they didn't normally bring this. If it was that they had an Aron with the broken luchot that they brought every time they went out to war, this wouldn't have been the first time that the Plishtim saw it. But it's saying this was something that the Plishtim were seeing for the first time. In other words, that that Aron that normally was in its place was taken out of its place. It's the same Aron. That's why they were so frightened to see it." But there's also a pasuk that could potentially support the teaching of Rabbi Yudab and Lakish that there were two Aronot because it says because Shaul said to Achia when they were at war he said bring the Aron here because he wanted to ask the Urim Vitumim something and he asked them to bring the Aron and so the question is how could he have the Aron there the Aron was never with Shaul 
Right, so uh, that's and that's a problem. How could Shaul have the Aron? And all the Mefarshim actually and the Tanakh ask the same question because we know that the Aron was not with Shaul in general. Shaul didn't have much to do with the Aron during his time. After it was brought back from the Plishtim when it was captured during the beginning of the reign of Shmuel, really at the end of the time of Eli when Shmuel was rising up and it was put, it was put in Kiryat Yerim, and they never fetched it from there until the time of David. So uh, Shaul never really was involved with Aaron. So why is he asking for the Aaron? So ah, so therefore Rabbi Uda ben Lakish will say this shows you that there were two Aronot. There was an Aron that Shaul did have with the broken luchot, and the one that was stolen was the one with the actual luchot, and that uh, you know that was the that one was in Kiryat Yarim. Now the question is, so if that's true, so Ma Abdun le Rabbana, what will the rabbis say? They'll say that it doesn't mean bring the actual Aron, but he means to say bring the holy thing, the tzitz, bring the. Uh, the big day kehona because the kohen had to wear the big day kehona, the kohanic uh, vestments in order to um, in order to ask the urim vitumim questions. And so, if you look at the mefarshim and the navi there, they ask the same question, and that's one of the answers that they give. <laughs> that he, he didn't mean to bring the aron, but he meant bring the holy clothing. You know, he was just using aron as a figure of speech. Now, karya misayel rabbi yuda ben lakish. There's another pasuk that seems to support the idea that there were two aronot because it says aron. The Israel because when when Uriah when David brings Uriah back from the battle because he had an affair with his wife and then he found out that um, Bathsheba was pregnant so he had to cover up his misdeed by getting the husband home so Uriah who seems like a very dedicated soldier said no how can I go home to my wife when the Jewish people are at war and the Aaron. Is is also there? He said, "Ha'aron v'Yisrael v'Yehuda Yushvin basukot." They're sitting in Sukkot, meaning to say that they're the 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 initial understanding of the Gemara is that it means that they're sitting in a, the place, the area called Sukkot. In other words, they are encamped in this area called Sukkot, and they are at war. How can I go uh, and and be with my wife? And now, of course, the Gemara asks on on Tetzayin Amud Aleph, "Hello, Aaron b'Tzion Haya." But wasn't the Aaron already in Zion? It wasn't. It was not with the with the army. It was it was it was with David, right? So therefore, you see that there must have been two Aaronot because there must have been the Aaron that they took out to war, which was the secondary one, and there was the main one that they kept behind. It must be. So it says, Ma Avdin Lo Leirabana. What will the rabbis say about that? No, Sechach Shehu Ke Kirui. Or, or it either means Shehu Ke Kirui, or it should say another version is uh, that it was not Shelo Be Kirui. But the idea is that meaning that the Aaron doesn't have a settled play. He wasn't saying that the Aaron was with the army. He was saying that the Aaron is in a Sukkot, like the way that David said, How could the uh, Aaron be in a temporary dwelling and, he, and I'm in a Bet Arazib, I'm in a fancy house and we don't have a Bet Amikdash? In other words, what he meant was, he was wasn't saying that the Aaron was out with the soldiers at war. That that wasn't happening. The Aaron was actually with David. But what he meant was, how can it be that the Jewish people are out at war and the Aaron is not at rest because it's in a temporary place in Yerushalayim, not in uh, not at the war. And and how could I go to my wife? In other words, there was really only one Aaron, according to that. Now. The meaning lo shadayin lo nivna beta because there was no beta mikdash yet. Okay, so according to so basically they leave that as a question a machloket. Their psukim you can interpret the psukim either way. Was there one aron or two aronot? One that was a temporary one that was meant to be portable and one that was meant to stay in its place, or there was just one. Now mishin ignaz aron when they hid away the aron ignaz imotin Also the other thing that uh, that Moshe had was keeping together throughout Beit Rishon that they had together with Aaron. It says they had also the tzintzen. 
Tenet Aman. They had also the um, container of the man. They also had from the times of Moshe Rabbeinu that they were preserving from generation to generation the flask that contained the Shemen HaMishcha, the anointing oil of Moshe, and also the budding um, staff of Aaron was kept from generation to generation in the Beit HaMikdash as a remembrance of what happened. Also that when the, uh, the same story before, when the Plishtim took the Aaron in the beginning of the book of Shmuel, they captured the Aaron and then they ha- start having all these plagues happen to them that they sent gifts to the Jews and those uh, gifts, the golden uh, different things that they sent were kept also for the future reference, right? So all of those things were also hidden away at the time that Aaron was hidden away. Now, the question is, Mignazo, who was the one who actually hid it away? Yoshiao Gnazo. It was actually Yoshiao Melech in his time that he, uh, he hid away the Aaron because he knew that the, the end was coming cl- soon. Because we know that Yoshiao, we know that Yoshiao was the one that, so to speak, rediscovered the Torah. After the times of Chizkiyahu, there were bad kings, and then Yoshiahu rose up later, and when Yoshiahu realized that, uh, you know, started reading the Torah, realized that the Klalot were going to come, all these curses were going to come, and you and your king are going to be hauled off into exile, he said, you know what, we better hide the uh, Aaron before this terrible thing happens, so Amaru Gnazo, that's why he hid it away. No, Tzidkiyahu. He was one of the last, but he wasn't the last. Yeah, he, 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 was, uh, he was during the time of uh, 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 of uh, already getting towards the towards the end, but not the end yet. Yoshia was in the time of Yirmiyahu. Yeah, he he was he was in the time of Yirmiyahu, but he wasn't in the end end time. He was one of the he was a good king, and then uh, and then after him, it didn't really hold so well. The teshuvah that they did, it didn't really stick so well. Tzidkiyahu was the last one. I don't see a reason why Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish and Rabbi Yehuda ben Lakish would be, that, that would sound like they were brothers, not Sam, but I, I don't know if it's the same person. I don't know if it's the same person. Right, so that's the Aaron said to the, uh, to the Levi'im, he said, put the Aaron Kodesh in the house that Shlomo Melech Yisrael built, you're not going to carry it by shoulder. What did it mean? What he meant was, if you, when he said put it in the house, he meant hide it in the house that Shlomo Melech built, because apparently Shlomo Melech built a special place underneath the Beit HaMikdash for it to be hidden away in the times of emergency. He said, meaning if you go with this to, to, to go, if it becomes exiled, it will never be able to come back. Right, it'll be like uh, desecrated. It will never be able to come back. So, rather focus on uh, serving Hashem and the Jewish people, and uh, don't uh, don't worry about the fact that you have to hide away the Aaron. You want to make sure that it doesn't get uh, captured and taken into Galut when we eventually end up in Galut. Now, this actually is a section that uh, it should say according to it should say ketzad. So it should say how did they make the um, how did they make the Shemana Mishcha? We learned about this already, actually, in the Gemara. Um, I believe it's in Kretot uh, that we, we learned these. And, and, and uh, at least once we've come across this, uh, this discussion. And Horayot, I think, also, right? I think it's in this sugya is in two places. The first part is in Kretot, I think. And then the second part is in Horayot, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it says, V'atakach uh, lecha. It describes all the uh, different the, the different spices that go into the uh, the shemen mishcha, 
right? B'samim Rosh says Mordor Chamesh Meot, and it, because it says that you have to have this Mordor Chamesh Meot five hundred, and then it says that you should have the Kinamon Bese Machatzito Chamishim Umatayim Uknevozim Chamishim Umatayim. It says that half will be two fifty and half will be two fifty, meaning the other two are also five hundred each, right? Um, so the so it says the total is. Um, a total is shehen elav chamesh meot manim. There's going to be a total of fifteen hundred maneh um, shemen zayit hin, and there's going to be a hin worth of oil, so which is shnei What? How much is a maneh? I don't know exactly how how much it corresponds to an hour numbers today, but it's a lot. It's not a small amount. But then has then has a twelve log, which is uh, of course erevi'it. log is uh, if you multiply that by uh, what erevi'it is, and you say that's four times, and then it's I guess forty eight times that. Um, so it will be a four, forty-eight times of eat is the amount of oil, right? So shaboshel kint ikarin. They would put all of these spices into the oil and they would soak it in there. And it should say divrei Rabbi Yehuda, I believe that it shouldn't say divrei Rabbi Meir, should divrei Rabbi Yehuda. Um, that's the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda that they would soak. They would soak the they soak the spices in the oil. The oil absorbed the fragrance from these ikarim, from these roots. Okay, it should say Rabbi Yehuda, and then it says Rabbi Yossi Omer Sholekan Haya Bamai Vinotesh Al Gabayet Mishaya Kolet Etoreach Ayama Virokadech Shapataminosin. That it it wasn't the way that, in other words, according to Rabbi Yehuda, what they did was they actually soaked these spice. They took these different roots and spices and this and that, and they soaked it in the uh, they soaked it in the oil, and that's how the oil got the fragrance. They actually combined it together. But the problem was that would cause the oil to absorb into these roots and things like that. You would lose the oil. You'd have barely any oil left. So therefore, Rabbi Yossi says, no, no, no. First, you soak the sp- the fragrant items in water. Right, so they absorb all the liquid, so they are saturated with liquid, and they're not going to absorb the oil. And then you put the oil on them, so that it only the oil absorbs the fragrance, but the the fragrant spices don't absorb the oil, because otherwise you're going to lose oil. And that's the trick. It's done a way, the, a, according to the way that people made spices and made these things. In other words, and the way to do make fragrant oil is not that you just mix the spices together with the oil because then the oil will become absorbed into the spices, but rather that you make sure that those spices are first saturated with liquid so they will not absorb the oil. And then you just put the oil on them. You take the oil off when it absorbs the fragrance. And then you have fragrant oil that you need it. Tanei, Rabbi Yehuda, he, he said that Rabbi Uda in the house of Rabbi Eli, he said that uh, that the there were miracles from beginning to end with this uh, oil. There was only twelve log in the beginning. Because it says it was a hin, which is twelve log. He says that, there, that what, all you have was a small amount, right? And then take into account even just to put these on those roots and those fragrant spices wouldn't even be barely enough. And it would be absorbed into them. This is, of course, going according to the first opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Right, and then when you heat them up, some is going to evaporate, and some is going to be absorbed by the pot. And they used it for the entire mishkan and all of the kelim and the kohanim all seven days of the of, of the dedication of the mishkan. And, and not only that, but they anointed 
um, Kohanim Gdolim and kings from it for future generations. And somehow it stayed forever. So in other words, he's saying that this was a miraculous oil. This oil was never diminished. So just like we said before, that according to Rabbi Yehuda, you put the oil on these, on the spices or on the root, different roots and spices, fragrant things, and it doesn't get absorbed into them. It stays intact. So too, they kept using it. It kept getting replenished and uh, it never diminished. And this was a miracle. So he's acknowledging that Rabbi Yossi is right. That practically speaking, uh, this would not work in a natural way, but because of the miracles, so therefore the shaman was never diminished. According to Rabbi Yossi, no, according to Rabbi Yossi, they did it in a way that it wouldn't be diminished. So obviously he wouldn't need to say that all these miracles also happened. He would probably say that it was done naturalistically. It's reminiscent of the Shunamit, uh, the shaman that... Uh, That's a one-time, yeah, that, maybe. And even the shaman of uh, Hanukkah. Yeah, that but... The, so much yeah. more than... But this lasted over generations. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like uh, it'd be more of a more of a surprise um, in this case. So that that that's the then the Gemara goes on, and this is definitely from Horayot. This part, this next part, the previous part, I believe, was in uh, was in Kretot. Does it say Horayot? It says in Bavli Horayot, and then the part before, though I remember from uh, yeah, this uh, the beginning part was also in uh, Kretot. So now it says Melech. A king only need when it's starting a new dynasty, he requires anointment. But Melech ben Melech ain't on Meshicha. He does if a if the king is the son of the previous king and he's taking over, he doesn't require Meshicha. What happened? Like his grandfather did? Yeah, he automatically it's an extension of the father. So he doesn't need that. Uh, and then it says, and the, the Gra has a different organization of the uh, text here. That it's um, it's because he says Aval Kohen Gadol Ben Kohen Gadol. He skips to the end part, but let's just follow our text so we don't get confused because it, it works out okay. The same content anyway. So it says, In other words, he, when when Shmuel is told to anoint David, he says because this is the one, meaning this is the only one you have to anoint. You don't have to anoint the children of David. Um, only this one, right? Zetun Meshichav and Benot Tavon Meshichav. Only he will need anointment. About Kohen Gadol and Kohen Gadol, Filu Adasar Adorot, Tavon Meshichav. But the Kohen Gadol always requires anointment because he's called the Kohen Hamashiach. The Kulo Kayam Latid Lavon. All of this oil is going to be. Yes, that's the point. Yeah. The Kula the Kulo Kayam Latid Lavon. All of the oil is going to be there. Um, the the all of this is uh, all of this oil is uh, is going to still be there in the times of Yemot Hamashiach. Um, and, and as it says, Shemin Mishchat Kodesh, this oil is going to be for all time. So in other words, the same oil is going to be there even um, in the, for future Kohanim. And that, of course, is according to the miraculous understanding of the oil that Rabbi Yehuda said about. Now, in Moshechin HaMelachim El Mayan, they would always try to anoint kings by flowing water. This was when the Adoniyahu was trying to seize the kingdom. And so David told them to take Shlomo down uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to, a, uh, to the water. And to anoint him there, ala pirdai says, take him on the donkey or the mule. Asher li v'oratem otol gichon, take him to gichon u'mashach otol sham. Tadok aguim nadaravi lemelch al Yisrael. Right, so that's why he had to. They, they, so it says, en moshkin melech ben melech. Right, so, so really, even though Shlomo Melech was the son of the previous king, they still brought him to uh, they still brought him to be anointed because right. So, so they, they only do it because when there's an argument, they anointed Shlomo because there was a dispute. 
Right? Normally, it would be automatic. You wouldn't have to be anointed anew, but because there was a dispute. And Yoash de Ataliao. Also, Yoash was anointed as king because of Ataliao, who was the um, evil grandmother who killed all the, uh, all the heirs to the throne so she could take power. But when Yoash was restored, so he was anointed. Yoachaz ne Yoachim. Yoachim shayagadom menu shteishanim. Yoachaz, who was one of the, um, one of the last kings of Israel, um, he was, uh, he, he was uh, anointed because his brother was older than him and he took over even though he was younger. So since it was an exception to the normal rule that the older one would take over, so he had to be anointed. Yehu ne Yehu Yehu had to be anointed because Yoram, because there was competition. Anytime there's competition, you have to anoint. So it says, Didn't we say that only Malchei Yehuda require Meshicha? Not Malchei Yisrael. And Yehu was from Malchut Yisrael. That was Elisha went to uh, anoint Yehu. That, that was a, uh, that was Malchei Yisrael, not Malchei Yehuda. So why is he getting anointed? But first the Gemara interrupts. Right, so, uh, but how could you say that Yehoahaz was anointed because Yehoiakim was older than him? But, uh, but, but didn't we say before that Yoshiao put this uh, anointing oil away? And Yoshiao was before that. Yoshua was before them, so it was already gone by the time Yoachaz and Yoachim and all that. They were at the very end of the time of the Beit Hamikdash. So uh, how could it be that they still had the anointing oil? That's why it says they were anointed, but not with the original oil. So that's the answer that we also give with the Malchei Israel. This is the same answer that it says in Masechet Orayot that they were anointed, but they weren't anointed with the actual Shemen Mishcha that was the holy oil from the times of Moshe Rabbeinu because they didn't really, it was a symbolic uh, anointing, but they didn't use the actual original oil because Malchei Yehuda don't use that oil and because uh, you only use it when it's, ne- when it's necessary for, to fulfill the mitzvah. Yeah, Malchei Yehuda. Only Malchei Yehuda. What? I didn't hear what? Why does it need to be next to Mayan? Well, they say so it, should, so it flows like a, you know, it's a symbol. It's a, yeah, when it talks about Simanam Milta, Simanam Milta says that they, right, there's a Siman, it's a Siman Tov that they stand by the water. It's and insane. It's yeah. yeah, it should be Nimshach, like, just, like just like the flow of the water. That's where we, in the, in the Sugev, uh, Simanam Milta, in Kretot, it talks about that also. We never make Kohanim. Oh, I skipped part, sorry. Um, we always use a horn to, uh, the, to hold the oil. They were both anointed from a small container. Their malchut was very temporary, but they had a keren, they had a long uh, uh, horn that they poured the oil from. Their kingdom lasted a long time. Now, in Moshkin Kohanim Lachim, we never make the Kohanim into kings. Anton Darya, that was just his name, probably the place that he came from, Al-Shem, Lo Yasur Shev because it says, the staff of leadership should never leave Yehuda, you shouldn't make the Kohanim into kings. When it talks about in, in, in Parashat Shoftim, the king, it says about the king, he should be on this kingdom for, uh, for and the next Prasuk is, Lo Right now, that doesn't actually, it's actually a new parasha because it's Lo Yeh Lekoanim Alviyim, Lechoshevet Levi, Chelek Menachalab Yisrael. It's not talking about the kingdom, but since it came right after the mention of the king and it says Lo Yeh Lekoanim Alviyim, it's saying they shouldn't be the kings. This is one of the reasons the Chashmonaim were criticized because they made themselves into a monarchy when really it's against what they weren't supposed to say. Amrabi Yochanan, Hu Yochanan, Hu Yochanan. 
that Yochanan and Yochaz were the same person, according to Rabbi Yochanan. Now we're talking here about the children of Yoshiahu, who took so, over after the, him. The, the, the Hashmonaim, the fact that they were mm-hmm. leaders is not the problem. The fact that they called themselves kings. They came, became kings, right? The In the first generation, they were still okay, but then it became an actual uh, monarchy. It wasn't good. Amrav Yochanan, oh Yochanan, oh Yochaz. So the sons of Yoshiahu that are mentioned in the Pasuk in Divrei Yamim, it says, Habachol Yochanan, Hashani Yeho Yekim, Hashlishit Tzidkiah, Harvi Shalom. There are four that are mentioned there. Um, Yochanan, Yoyakim, Tzidkiah, and Shalom. So he says, Yochanan is actually the same as Yeho Achaz. He's the same person as Yehoachaz. Okay, if that's true, so then Vahaketiv Habbechor Yochanan. But doesn't it say the firstborn was Yochanan? And you said before that Yehoachaz was the younger brother. So how could the Bechor be Yochanan and be Yehoachaz? That would mean Yehoachaz is the Bechor. So it's now Bechor Malchut. It means he was the first one to become king. Yochanan and Yehoachaz was the same. Sometimes they took on a royal name. So that wasn't necessarily. Uh, his original name, his name could have been Yochanan, but he changed it to Yochaz for his kingdom. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, who Shalom, who Tzidkiah. It also says the third is, is Tzidkiah, and the fourth is Shalom. He says, that's the same person. What do you mean? Vaktiva, Gimel, Tzidkiah, Varuvi, Shalom. It says specifically that there were four, because it says the third one was Tzidkiah, and the fourth one was Shalom. How could he say that it's the same person? It says, Gimel, Toldot. He was really the third in terms of birth order, but Dal, Malchut. But he was the fourth of the family to be king. Why was he the fourth of the family to be king? Because what happened was, that Yehoahaz, who was his brother, uh, ruled. And then Yehoiakim ruled, who was also the, another brother. And then the Malchut went to Yehoiachin, who, who was the son of Yehoiakim, before it came back up to Tzidkiah. So Yoshiao's descendants, in other words, one son ruled, the other son Yehoiakim ruled, the son of that son ruled, and then it came back up to Tzidkiah. And well, because uh, because Yechonia, uh, um, who was a grandson of Yoshiao, was the one who was exiled first because he started to you know because they all had this tendency to want to rebel against uh, against Bavel, and this is exactly why it said in you know it says in the Megillah Yechonia Melech Yehuda Sheheglav Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel Yechonia was the first wave of the exile, and then and then Bavel the king of Bavel put Tzidkiah uh, in charge because he thought he would be a better. He thought he'd be respected by the people because he was a descendant of the original king, but he would be more loyal to him. So he got rid of Yechonyan, he put in Tzidkiyahu. Anyway, so that's why. So why is he called Tzidkiyahu if his name is Shalom? Because he accepted the Midat Adin. He had a very terrible ending because he, he was a very tragic figure because he was torn between, on one hand, he wanted to do the right thing and listen to Yirmiyahu, and he actually wanted to accept the rule of Bavel. So in a way, the king was right, King of Bavel was right, but, he, but his advisors and the politics were so militantly against Bavel, he couldn't keep them in line. And even though he wanted to listen to Yirmiyahu, he kept being pressured by his people to reject Yirmiyahu's message. And so in the end, he was punished and he was brought to exile and his kids were killed and they, his sons were, were killed. And then in front of the king, like to torture him, killed his sons in front of him and then blinded him. So that would be the last thing he saw. Well, it's terrible. Anyway, Shalom, Shabiyamav, Shalamam, Al-Khut, David. He's called Shalom because the kingdom of David ended in his time, meaning that it was, it was finished. Um, but neither of those were his real name. Ella Matanya. His real name was Matanya. And that's why it says, when it speaks about the appointment of Tzidkiyahu, it says, that the, the uncle of Yechonia, meaning his father's brother, Matanya, was put in place by the king of Bavil to be the leader of Israel. 
And Vayasevet Shemot Tzidkiah, when he made his name Tzidkiah, in other words, that name was given to him by the king of Babel because it represented the idea of, of Tzedek, that you're going to be faithful, you're going to do the right thing, and you're going to honor your oath to me to be loyal, which, of course, the Gemara says that one of the reasons why the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed was because Tzidkiah didn't keep his promises to, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. Anyway, Amar B'Yohanan, Rabbi Yohanan said, Bamashal Sheish Tfachim, Ayaron, Asui, that the Aaron was made of six Tefach Amot. There are three types of Amot. There's an Amam. But Chameshamot, a smaller Amma, there's a Batsheshamot, a six, um, uh, I'm sorry, a Batsheshatvachim, there's a, uh, there's a Shishatvachim, a Chamishatvachim, there's a five Tevach Amma, there's a six Tevach Amma, and there is a, uh, and there's a one that's a little bit larger, but we're not talking about that, we're talking about the six and the five here. So the one that's six is actually called the Benonit because there are three different types. What's the one that's larger? A, a little bit larger than six. So, oh. Rabbi Meir. Who is the one who says that it's made of six Tevachim? Because it's Rabbi Meir. Okay, did not. Rabbi Meir Omer, kol amot ayubu benonit. He said that all of the all of the amot that they used in the Beit Hamikdash were made with the min, medium one, the six tefach amah. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, amot abinyan shishav shekelim chamisha. But Rabbi Yehuda says no, the kelim were made from five amah, five tefach amot, meaning a smaller kind of amah. The kelim, including the aron, we're going to come back to him. But al datit Rabbi Meir do Omar. According to Rabbi Meir, we say as follows: Ba'amashol vavtochim ayaron asui. The aron was made of six tefach amot, and we know orkoshel aron tevavtochim. We know that means that it's Length was 15 tfachim. Why? Because because it says that it's two and a half amot in length. And what would that be? So two and a half times, 2.5 times 6 is 15. Right? But the Gemara will, will, will do the math for you in case your algebra is rusty. Right? Um, right? Amta ashita. That's right. Amta ashita. So that's 6 and 6. And then palgut amta atlata. Right? And the, and the, uh, and, and 3 is the half of an amma. So that's, that's 15 in length. Vaba Bo, and there were four luchot in the Aron, of course, placed um, like this and like this, like the two and then the other two. We're going to see that's how they did it. Okay, and had, so, and each of them, so, shnaim, shlemim, shnaim, shvorim, two were full, two were broken. It says, the ones that you broke, and you put them in the Aron, meaning that you put both the good ones and the broken ones in the Aron, right? Uh, so the the length of each one was six tvachim, meaning from bottom to top, six tvachim. And it should say, There were three tvachim across. Okay? So what, basically what they would do is that, let's say like, Luach number one of set number one is down here. Luach number one of set number two is up here. I don't know if that's exactly how it doesn't say, but the idea is from the bottom to the top is going to be 12 Tvachim because it's six Tvachim in height. And then next to it also, six and six. And then across the two is going to be six also because they're, the width is three of each one. So if you put the sets like that, that's what you're going to have. You're going to have three Tvachim left over in length because... Um, because it's only, the Aron is 15 long, and the, uh, and the Luchot are 12 long. So that leaves three. So, ten mehem tefach kol kotil. So you need to leave half of a tefach for the thickness of the wall itself, right? The thickness of the wall of the Aron itself. So that means that that's a one tefach minus one tefach. So there's two tefachim left. Okay? And there's two tefachim. The Sefer Torah, you could fit the Sefer Torah of Moshe in there. It's a small Sefer Torah. This much uh, width will fit in.
Okay, so it says, Now, across the Aaron, in other words, width of the Aaron is nine Tfachim. How do we know that? Because it says one and a half Amot is the width. We know that an Amma is six. And so half of that is three, and that makes nine. And again, we had four Luchot in there, right? Two were whole, two were broken. Three in width. So So what will happen? Since across the Aron is, meaning in the width of the Aron, is nine Tvachim, and the width across the Luchot, if you put each one, I'm assuming that they did AB and then AB. So they... You know, so if you go across, so it's going to be six tfachim across, but there's nine tfachim of Aaron space. However, you have to subtract the wall of the Aaron from that. So you're going to take away um, the, right, so that says, You So that leaves you a little wiggle room. In other words, you have a little bit of wiggle room of two tfachim. In the width of the Aron, a little bit of wiggle room of the two Tfachim, on the length of the Aron. And that way you can move the Sefer Torah that you put in there, in and out. Because he's saying that you put the Sefer Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu in there. Okay? Now, according to Rabbi Shemuel Lakish, No, I think the Aron was smaller. It was made with a five Tavachama, the way that Rabbi Yehuda said. Since it's one of the kelim, it's a five davach mantana ba amabad chamisha tfachim. Rabbi Yehuda, the Tanayat Aman, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, amata binyan shishav shel kelim chamisha, because Rabbi Yehuda said that we only use the larger tefach for the building, but for the kelim, for the vessels like the Aron, the smaller tefach, uh, smaller amar rather, aron and of course the aron is a vessel. So al datid Rabbi Yehuda do amar. So according to that, Rabbi Yehuda is going to say ba amashel chamisha tfachim ayarko. Right, so that means it's going to be 12 and a half Tfachim in length, right? Because you're going to have, because it's two and a half Amot. So, because you're going to have five Tfachim, five Tfachim, and two and a half Tfachim. So instead of having a 15 tefach length, you're only going to have a 12.5 tefach length. V'dalet uchot ayubo, right? And again, it's repeating the same thing. Shnayim shleim shleim shvurim. You had two sets of luchot, the broken and the whole. Dechdi v'asher shibad v'satam baron. V'aluchot ayak kol echad v'echad orkan shishat tefachim. We're still holding that the length of the uh, of the luchot is six tefachim. We didn't change that, but now you have much less room because you only have 12.5 tefachim. So if you're going to put one set above the other, you're going to take up all the room, right? Right? So what are you going to have? You're going to end up having only very little space, right? Because it's going to be the tefach itself of the... Uh, uh, the the space itself of the uh, of the luchot is taking up twelve, and we said there's only twelve point five of the aron, and you're going to have to subtract space for the walls of the aron itself. So you're only going to have very little uh, wiggle room on the uh, on the top and the bottom because you're, it's going to be very a very tight fit in that case, and um, and that's why he says etzba mikan etzba mikan. 
you're going to have only... Uh, it's about an inch, like a thumb. Yeah, like a thumb. So it says, Etzba lakotel mikan. Etzba lakotel mikan. In other words, you're going to have, you have a chatzit tefach altogether left, because the, the luchot are uh, 12 tochim long, and the aron is, is 12.5, and you're going to have to assume, instead of a chatzit tefach for the walls, it's going to be even less. It's only going to be a, a, a much thinner wall, the aron, then, according to that, because you, otherwise it won't, won't even be half a te- you, it'll only be half a tefach put together. Right? Now it says, Rukhbo shel aron shivat tefachim, vechitza seven and a half tefachim is going to be the width now. Why? Because vechitza, amav chitzi rukhbo. Because it's supposed to be one and a half amot. So amtach hamisha upalgut amtatrip upalik. So it's going to be five plus two point five. So it's going to be seven point five. Vedaldu chodayu. And again, it repeats this again. So probably the Gra, he has all, I see all these letters here. He probably, yeah, he says nimchak. He erases all of this because he says just repetition. It keeps repeating the size of the luchot. It's not necessary. Okay. So So then what's going to happen? You're going to have um, a cross, meaning the width of the um, of the uh, uh, of the luchot is six. The width of the uh, Aron is seven point five, according to this, because we have a smaller space. So so you're going to have to subtract a small amount for the walls, which according to this is going to be thinner. You will only have lishilut, only to move things in and out. In other words, if you have to move the luchot in and out for some reason, you would have a small amount of wiggle room, so it's not totally tight in there. But basically, there will be only a chatzitevach on each, each side once you get done. So according to Rabbi that's much more compact. It's much more, and there's obviously no sefer Torah in there, according to Rabbi Yehuda. There's no space for anything else in there. Now, how did B'Tzalo make the Aron? Rabbi Hanan, who should say Rabbi... Uh, right? Said, Oh, this is what Rashi actually says in Chumash, right? There were three boxes that he made. One was gold, the th- two of them were pure gold. One was wood. So they put the gold one inside the wood one. And then he put the wood one inside the gold one. And then he overlaid it with gold. Right, Matam of the Mar Titzapenu, Davis Vato Eliona. What does Titzapenu mean? Because it says it twice. Vitzipita Otoz Vitzipita Otoz Avtor, Mibai to Mechutz Titzapenu. Why does it say it twice? Because not only does he have to cover the wood with the golden boxes, according to that, he's covering the wood with the golden boxes, he also has to cover over the lip that's going to be revealed. Because if you have three boxes there, then if you look from the top, you're going to see the wooden as well as the two gold lips of the boxes. In other words, if you had a box on the outside that's gold and an inner box that's wood and an inner box that's gold, on the top at least, maybe from the outside you won't see the, the, the wood. And from the inside you won't see the wood. But on the top, the, the safa, the lip of it you will see. So you have to cover that with gold to uh, make sure that it is uh, totally overlaid with gold. That's how he did it. And that's how Rashi says actually um, in the Chumash. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Amar Teva Actually, no, he only had one box, Vitzipau, and he covered that one box with totally with gold. It says that that one thing that was wood, he covered with gold. Now, why does it have to say according to this? Say according to us, we understand, according to Rabbi Shimon, the, the first interpretation that's the most accepted one, that they had three boxes, so then it makes sense. Because the first covering with gold is a covering with boxes of gold. You had an outer box of gold, an inner box of gold, and you're covering the wooden box with with 
uh, with those two boxes. But according to this, that it's only one box that's overlaid with gold. So why do you have to again say mi Because in the other one, it was it was obvious you had to cover the the revealed lip of of wood on the top. But if you don't have that revealed lip of wood, because all you have is a one layered box that is. Um, that is totally overlaid with gold. So what's the second pasuk? Even between the different parts, if there were different pieces. In other words, any spaces, any pieces that it was made of, it wasn't necessarily made of only one ba- only one piece. So also that had to be overlaid with gold. So there was no sign of the wood um, at all that every board that was connected was also covered with gold and the spaces between them were covered with gold. But you see that Rabbi Shimon Lakish has to say this. Why? Because he had to say the Aron was very thin. Because we said before that the that the according to him the thickness of the wall had to be very little to allow for the luchot to fit in. According to the previous opinion that no the aron was bigger. According to right according to the first view that the aron was bigger. Rabbi Meir. So then the the walls of the aron could also be thicker, right? So it could be the triple box. Now How were the luchot written? Now this you're gonna you're gonna find this fascinating because it's actually it's it's somewhat well known midrash, but uh, it's well known like. Uh, uh, in certain circles, but I, I think the average person on the street doesn't know it. How are the luchot written? Rabbi Chanania ben Gamliel or Rabbi Chanina ben Gamliel Omer, Chamisha Luach Zeh, This is what the Holy Ten Commandments movie of, uh, 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 you know, has, t- has told us, and what every synagogue has, you know, it has the five of the commandments on one luach, five of the commandments on the other one, and many Midrashim also assume that, that the five, five were on one, five were on the other. Okay, that it was split in half evenly, and they say, "Oh, the fourth. Why, why was the kibud of Eim? It's on the first luach. It's on the second. They they make a deal. Oh, the first luach is uh, is ben adam la makom. The second one is ben adam la chavero. All these different interpretations. That goes with this. Hadu dichtev aichtevim al shnei luchot avanim chamishal luach zev chamishal luach zev. Meaning it was divided. So that means that the two luchot, neither one is independently sufficient. You need both, right? Because only half of the mitzvot are on one half or on the other. However. It was a carbon copy. All ten were on Luach number one, all ten were on Luach number two. Now, I've seen Mefarshim that explain what does that mean, because it's like a contract between two parties. You have two copies, and you deposit the contract in the, in the Aron. In other words, this is, so to speak, Hashem's copy. It's quote-unquote, you know, it's not literal. It's like Hashem's copy and the Jewish people copy. Jewish people's copy. You deposit them both in the Aron. It's like you're saying we have an, an, a covenant with each other. We have each have a copy, right? That Hashem uh, told you his covenant that he commanded you the ten things. Ten on each one. Rabbi Shimon Yochai Omer. Hashem should have kept his copy. Yeah. Rabbi Shimon Yochai Omer. Esrim They were written on both sides, right? Because he wrote them, meaning both, meaning plural, uh, right, that on, on either side. The Gra has a different pasuk. He says it should say, is the pasuk, right? Because it says, right? So most of the Midrashim assume that that means that the lettering went through. But it says, no, it means it was written on both sides. So if you say that ten, all ten were written on each luach and both sides had the writing. So that means that there's 20 uh, In other words, each one is a double copy too. Okay? And then... What's the purpose of that? Yeah, I don't know. What's the purpose of this one? 
right? So not only did they write it on the front and back, but on the sides that were also long and, th- and thick, also wrote another copy, right? So on each side, also like that, square, meaning that it was on all those sides. The son of the brother of Yoshua said, In between each one of those statements were all of the details and the letters of the Torah. Now that could mean, I, I assume that means a metaphor. It means that all of the Torah is really contained in the Aserah that they brought, so to speak. You know, it says, Like it says in Shira Shirim, it was full with Tarshish. And Tarshish, she says, means the ocean, filled like the ocean. Now, what does it mean, filled like the ocean? So he says, Rabbi Shimon Lakish, when he would come to that pasuk, Kavamar would say, I'm very fortunate for what, um, or for short, Limdani, he already taught me, right? Tarshish yeah, I was happy that he ocean, taught yeah. me that, yeah, Tarshish is saying is the ocean. Mediterranean right? ocean. Yeah, so it says, I'm so lucky what, what Hananiah and Achir taught me, but just like in the ocean between the large waves or small waves, so too between each statement of the Aserat that they brought are all the details of the Torah. And I think you can understand that metaphorically, meaning these are the big ideas of the, of the Torah, the Aserat that they brought, and in between them, everything else is found, like Rasadia Gaon wrote a whole thing showing how all the 613 mitzvot come from the Aserat that also in his Peru she shows how all the, all the mitzvot of the Torah come from the Aserat that they brought, really. Between the lines. Yeah, yeah, literally reading between the lines. Literally like that saying, reading between the lines in English that you say, that's exactly what it's saying. Right? Now he says... Um, Rabbi Tan Rabbi Tan said, and here the the um, the Graz in uh, the Graz text or the or the Korbanai that more or less, I mean, basically they follow the same gist, but um, but uh, w- we can favor the Graz, I guess. But Amar Rabbi Tan Chuma, it Kashit Komei Rabbi Pinchas that I had a difficulty that I brought before Rabbi Pinchas. Now, according to the Graz version, it should say it made sense. Atya lo atyak Rabbi Yehuda v'atyak Rabbi Meir, or it, it should say that it made sense. He said, he has. According to Rabbi Meir, it works. Rabbi Yehuda doesn't work. Why? Because w- w- what's the problem? That um, the, the question was, I'm reading from the Graz text. He says, the question was, Where did they put the Sefer Torah according to Rabbi Yehuda? Because there was no space in the Aaron. That's what the Graz text is, he has. And it says, Al de Rabbi Yehuda, Kemin gluskia asulo mi that you have to sort of skip that following line. You see that? In other words, according to Rabbi Yehuda, there's a problem. There's no space in the Aron to put the Sefer Torah. No problem. They had a special container or sack or something outside of the Aron that they put the Sefer Torah in. Maybe a shelf. Right? Well, here it says gluskia. It usually means like a, a pack, some kind of pack. But it says, My time Rabbi Meir. Meaning that fits with Rabbi Meir. Why? Because he says that, you know, we already have the Aaron put together and later on, right? You're going to put in the Edut, meaning later on, you're going to put the Sefer Torah in there after you made the Aaron and everything. After you put the Kaporet on, later you're going to have to remove it and you're going to have to put the Torah in there, right? Al Datei, and again, here he corrects it to be Al Datei de Rabbi Yehuda. Do Amar en Muktam Right? According to him, according to Rabbi Yehuda, why does it say that after you've sealed up the Aaron, later on you're going to put in the Edut, the testimony of God? He'll say, En Muktam Really, it means you first put in the Luchot and then you put the cover on of the Kaporet. That's all. 
right? Ela viel aron titenet aidu the shoyet enelecha ve'achar kach natata kaborat al aron milemala. That really first you put in the luchot and then you close it up. Not like Rabbi Meir is going to say that you first close it up and later on when the sefer Torah was finished at the end of the forty years they put it in the sefer Torah also. Right, Rabbi Pencha. Now, so the, there's a basic machloket. Do you put the Sefer Torah inside the Aron or it's next to the Aron? According to Rabbi Yudah, it's next to the Aron. According to Rabbi Meir, it's in the Aron. Fine. Now, and, and that, that's the way that the Grach amends the text. The other version of the text, the Korban Aida, he mixes around, he, he, he changes what is a proof and what is a support and what is a question. But basically, the idea is the same. That according to Rabbi Yehudah, the Sefer Torah doesn't fit in the Aron. It goes on the outside. And according to Rabbi Meir, it can fit inside. Okay? Yeah, it, well, it has like a little shelf or a little thing. That's what they show it in the Mishkan books. You know, they have they had a little shelf. Here it says Gluskia, which means like like a pack, sort of that they put it in. Rabbi Pinchas, Rabbi Rishon Ben Lakish, Rabbi Pinchas in the name of Rishon Ben Lakish, and um, and the, again the Gra corrects the text. It says Torah she Natan Hakadosh Baruch Hu LeMoshe, the Torah that that Hashem gave to Moshe, Esh Levana. It says it was white fire. Charutab Eshechorah that was um, inscribed with black fire. How do we understand this? Right? Okay, Me'esh It was mixed from fire. It was cut from fire. Netuna Ba'esh and it was given in fire because it says Dichtiv Mimino Esh Dat Lamo that it came from his right hand Esh Dat. It was a fiery law. So most of the Mefarshim that interpret the Agadot they take that to mean that the Torah that's revealed to us in language and in words that we can understand is really just a drop in the bucket of the actual wisdom of the Torah, which is beyond their understanding. The fire means that it's all, really it's, some, it's infinite, it's all-consuming, infinite wisdom of Hashem, that that was the Torah really, that in the, so to speak, in the mind of Hashem. It's beyond us. And what we see on a scroll and writing and, and black and white letters is just something that is it's presented to us in a way that we can understand the tiny bit of the finite, you know, little slice of Hashem's chokhmah and wisdom that we're able to access. But really you should realize that it's a reflection of something much greater than what it seems on the surface. And that's, that, that's how they interpret it. And that idea that there's sort of a, there, the depth of the Torah is really infinite and it's beyond what we're able to capture in words. What we capture in words is only the small slice of it that's accessible to us.